Church, can you hear me? There it is. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you all, and it's wonderful to be able to, to worship, to honor, to adore uh, our Lord in this amazing setting, to be able to do this outside. Um, and it is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's a little chilly. Uh, and to be fair, it's a little strange for me. I don't know that I've ever actually preached outdoors. I've certainly never preached on a flatbed. Um, but this is this is a wonderful, wonderful setup that we uh, were, uh, that we managed to, to put together. Uh, and it's great to be here with you. I will promise to do my best to not get distracted by the cars that drive by, uh, at least not every car, maybe the big ones or the shiny ones, because my mind is a little, you know, it, it, it's, it wanders sometimes. So if you could just offer me a little extra grace if I get distracted, and as you're searching for where that extra grace is in your mind and in your hearts, I want you to also consider the last time that you received a letter. Okay, And I don't mean an impersonal email or a junk letter that's offering you the chance to consolidate your student loan debt, but a real letter written to you by somebody that you love or that you have a close relationship with. And as you're thinking and reflecting and trying to remember that time, I'll be honest, there's probably a number of you who, for whom this exercise is completely foreign. For digital natives, maybe you've never received a handwritten letter because it just takes too much time when you could send a text message. But I would imagine that for most of us, even for those digital natives, we probably have some idea, some familiarity, some memory of a letter that we've received that was meaningful for us. For some of you, maybe you're having a moment of silent reminiscence over a letter sent from the love of your life during an extended period of apart. And so you're remembering the time where you can, uh, you're remembering the elation and the complete joy that you felt as you traced the lines of those familiar letters across the page. Or perhaps for others of you, your mind has gone to receiving a letter from a family member who has not, who has been physically distant for some time. And so news of how they have been and what they've been up to uh, is like a fresh rain on dry and arid land. You may also be, be recalling memories of letters that bore less encouraging news. Perhaps some of you are remembering a scolding letter that you received from a teacher that you were tasked to bring home to your parents, and you knew that that was going to be uh, an omen of dark days ahead unless you somehow conveniently managed to lose that letter on your way home. Not that I'm speaking from experience, and I'm certainly not speaking to, to children as an example to follow in that case. If you have a scolding letter for your parents, take it home, even if it is an omen for dark days ahead. And some of you, I'll, I'll stop giving lists, right? There's, those are a bunch of examples. You probably have your own thoughts, your own memories, but letters... They're a form of communication that's far less common in this modern era of texts, of emails, and of social media. And yet, for a lot of us, we still feel the butterflies of excitement when we see our names handwritten across an envelope in our mailboxes. Kids still often look hopefully at their parents when they come back in from getting the mail and they ask, was there anything in there for me? Even today, even now, maybe even especially now, there's something deeply meaningful about a letter. The knowledge that somebody took the time, even if it was minimal, to find a pen, some paper, an envelope, a stamp, and then sat down to carefully craft a message specifically for us with their own hand, maybe even getting a twinge of carpal tunnel as they wrote, carries with it a, a degree of significance and value than any uh, hastily typed text or email could possibly convey. 
And while that is perhaps up for debate, you could probably make a case that there isn't any greater significance in a letter than a text message. What is not in debate is the significance of a handful of letters that we have compiled for us in the pages of our scriptures. Culturally, experientially, personally, spiritually, we can hardly escape the significance and the influence of letters like the one that Paul wrote to the church in Rome or to the church in Corinth or Ephesus or Colossae almost 2,000 years ago. We often will make passing references or allusions to these letters, sometimes without even realizing that we are making allusions and references to a letter in the Bible, and sometimes, probably more frequently, without being able to actually find where exactly in the Bible what we're referencing is. There are phrases like, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, and the greatest of these is love, are recited at almost every single wedding, whether real or fictional, whether the people, the, the couple being wed are professing Christians or not. I can do all things through Christ who th strengthens me, adorns the Instagram and the Twitter bios of any number of people who have been moved by that verse, and that has even taken the form of a meme that has been spread throughout social media. And I could continue and go on and on and come up with any number of other examples demonstrating some of the cultural significance before even touching and scraping the surface of the sheer depth of spiritual impact that these sections of God's word have had on billions of people for thousands of years. And yet sometimes we forget that they are letters. They're letters inspired by the Holy Spirit and, and crafted carefully, intentionally, and with the utmost wisdom and with bril literary brilliance, but they are letters. And of these New Testament letters, 13 of them are ascribed to the Apostle Paul, and of those 13, nine are addressed to congregations and four to individuals. And as letters, there are a number of things that we modern-day readers, removed by thousands of years, thousands of miles, and a gulf of cultural difference, must keep in mind. The first thing that we should remember when we're speaking of New Testament letters, and in particular this morning of, of Paul's letters, of Paul letters, we must remember that they are occasional. And by that, I don't mean that you only break them out on special occasions, but there was an occasion for which they were written. To use the succinct language of Bruce Longenecker and Todd Still, this means that they were written to a particular people in particular places at a particular point in time about particular matters. They are occasional. And so when we think about uh, the letter to the Colossians, for example, as a New Testament letter, we must remember the occasion of the letter, that it was composed by Paul with the help of Timothy during Paul's imprisonment, that it was written to the community of believers in the small market town of Colossae, that unlike other communities to whom Paul would write, he actually did not plant this church, um, but he was moved by his companion Epaphras to address the situation that was going on there, that apparently a hollow and deceptive philosophy had begun to appeal to the members of, com of the community and take root within the hearts of those believers. And so Paul, with his apostolic authority, with his genuine care for and interest in the community, was well positioned to help try to pull this church out of the danger that they were clearly in. He wrote to direct them away from this good-sounding heresy and back onto the path of life that is centered on Christ and rooted in him. 
And so this is, in, in very brief, in a brief nutshell, the occasion of the letter to the Colossians. And we must also remember that Paul's letters are pastoral, that Paul is a pastor writing to those that he cares deeply about. He didn't sit down to write theological treatises. He didn't sit down and write for us a systematic theology textbook. Now, don't misunderstand me or mishear me. They're, of course, these letters are jammed full of theology, and they are undergirded by the theological perspective from which Paul is writing. But ultimately, he is a pastor writing to people that he loves addressing specific issues and concerns in their lives. And again, in the words of Longenecker and Still, he's writing because he strongly desires uh, to see people both grasp the faith and flourish in it. Paul's letters are pastoral. The third thing to remember is that Paul's letters follow a basic structure. There were, at the time, common letter-writing conventions, common letter-writing guidelines that Paul is operating to an extent under. He's using these, these common literary guidelines and conventions to communicate in sometimes subtle but very powerful ways. And therefore, as he is using this, this letter writing structure, every single letter that he would have written was crafted carefully from beginning to end, from introduction to body to conclusion, all with this broad and intentional structure with a line of thought and of argumentation, and each is composed as a whole, singular, cohesive unit. And so after he would have composed this wonderful, masterful piece of literature, this letter to a community or a person, Paul would have entrusted this letter to a companion and would have tasked that companion to deliver the letter to a community or to a person to whom it was written. And that person probably would have been given instructions for how to read the letter to the community. Because in fact, these letters were designed to be heard, to be read aloud in their entirety. And so it is important for us as a community, as a church in and of ourselves, it is important for us to read these amazing letters from beginning to end as well, especially as we gather together as a community. And when we do so, we are able to better appreciate how each part of each letter contributes to the whole. To be able to trace these lines of thought and of argument intended by the author, to be able to better grasp the incredible beauty, the wisdom, and the intricacy of these masterfully crafted, divinely inspired letters. And so as Matt uh, alluded to earlier, this is a practice that we are actually going to be able to do today. We are, as a community, going to hear the entirety of God's word written to the church in Colossae. And my prayer in doing so is that we will hear God's word in a new and fresh way. That we will have a greater depth of insight into what God is communicating to us through this letter. And that we will hear the powerful, pertinent, and important ways that God's word to the people in Colossae continues to be God's word for us today. And so I'd encourage you to, to follow along if you have your own Bibles, to underline, circle, highlight words, phrases, themes that stand out to you or that are clearly repeated. Take notes about what strikes you, about what you've never noticed about this letter, what you think seems most significant, or really whatever helps you best to follow along and hear this word of God for you today. 
So we're going to start right at the beginning of the letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 1. So I'll grab a drink while I give you a moment to find it. Colossians 1, starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day that you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told you of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day that we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. 
I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the uh, present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all of the energy, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are shadows of the things that are to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility or the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held up together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. 
Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belonged to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and the harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value of restraining sensual indulgence. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life that you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to, and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord, for the Lord. For whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. There is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. 
Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will send you news about me. He is a dear brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers from the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send their greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hands. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord to the church in Colossae and for the church in all ages, at all times, and in all places. Will you pray with me? God of all people, of all history, God, we thank you for your Bible. Through your word, we learn that you love your people dearly. And we learn that we are your people. Thank you that your word shapes our identity. Thank you that your word gives us hope for the future. And as your word has been read, send your spirit so that we can know our role in your ongoing work in our world. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.